You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Bibles, and you want to read along, we're in Acts 13. Or if you have your phones, and you'd like to read along, Acts 13. Acts 13, 42 through 52, I am in the ESV, English Standard Version, uh, just in case that helps you with uh, reading along, if you want to switch over to that, so the words are the same, feel free to do that. All right, now what you have to understand, some, some pretext right here. Paul and Barnabas, you remember last week they were out doing ministry, they were out preaching to people. They're still doing that. They're still out preaching. And we are coming in right at the end of one of their messages. I'm skipping over the message because they like start all the way at the beginning of time and move their way <laughs> to where they currently are in Acts. And you're welcome to read that later if you're unaware of the story. Uh, But otherwise, we're going to pick up as soon as they have ended their speech in 42. So here we go. 42. Acts 13, 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. How's that? You preach and they want you to come back to preach again. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles." For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. As many were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word, was, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They come and they preach and the Jews love it. So they ask them to come back and preach again. But this time the Gentiles show up. The the outsiders show up. And the Jews get jealous. And they begin to speak against what they're saying. Even though they wanted them to come back. Let's make something painfully, honestly clear this morning. All right? God loves everyone. Absolutely everyone. You are called to love who He loves, serve who He serves, and to go to the ends of the earth with His name, in His name. God is not a respecter of persons. He treats no one differently, no one greater than the other. To to quote Max Lucado, your actions have no thermostatic impact upon God's love. We are all loved exactly the same, treated exactly the same. He views no race as greater or lesser. Yet here we are today, 
This passage is a wake-up call to us. Acts is a wake-up call to us. The Holy Spirit is a wake-up call to us. Baltimore is a wake-up call to us. Ferguson is a wake-up call to us. That black lives matter. That black lives matter. Let's go there. Let's go there this morning. There's no reason to ignore this. Uprisings are happening across the states. Black people being killed in sketchy situations. Cops should be extra cautious right now to even lay a hand on a black person. And yet, we keep hearing stories. More recently this week with Baltimore. And you watch it on the TV as things unfold. CVS burning down as everybody is up in arms. These stories aren't new. They're not new. They're coming to light as of late, but they're not new. These stories have been around for some time. It's only after years of unfair persecution, of unfair uh, injustice, that these things are starting to happen, that people are starting to rise up. You should never be in a place where you get pulled over for a DWB, right? Driving while black. That shouldn't be the case. I shouldn't... When I drive through the homeless shelter area and I know I just sped by a cop, I shouldn't be comfortable to know, oh, I'm a white guy, I'm probably all right right now. This is not the kind of world that we should live in. And as a church, we are called to do something about that. You hear the stories of if you get pulled over while black, you, you pull out your wallet, you put it on the dashboard, you keep your hands up on the wheels. This is the way that some people are taught. And yet I remember hearing a story from a famous actor who's black, and he's like, yeah, I did that exact thing. My kids, I think they said they were on the way to a funeral, or they're on their way back from a funeral. They get pulled over, walled up on the dashboard, hands up here so you can see that there's nothing going on. Yet the cops still cursing them out, yelling at them, telling them to get out of the car. This is not okay. Not when we see that God loves everyone, that he calls us, even the Gentiles, for years, I used to commute to Dearborn. It was always interesting. There was one particular white city uh, that I'd always see someone pulled over there. Well, not always, but generally over the three years that I commuted, there, there'd always be, not always, constantly be someone pulled over there, you know? And over time, it began to stand out to me that they were typically black, right outside of this white city. And I began to wonder about that. And I remember telling someone uh, about my observation, like, oh, yeah, they got a big drug bust right there in that area. Drug bust. I grew up in that white town. Let me tell you, when I grew up in Westland, which is like the suburbs of Detroit, it was like probably the ratio is not 50-50 black and white, but it felt that way. And part of the reason it felt that way is because there wasn't really any struggle between black and white. Everybody was familiar with each other, lived as though everybody was equal. When I was in this white school, I heard more people talking about smoking weed there than I ever did in the suburbs of Detroit. Take the log out of your own eye and don't point out the speck in the other. Because your own backyard's got weed everywhere. (laughs) Just going to be honest, it's the countryside, all right? There's plenty of space. Now, let's also be clear about one thing, okay? All cops are not bad. Can we be clear about this? That's reverse stereotyping that makes us guilty of the same sin. But we do realize that we are dealing with injustice and racism still today. And here's the thing about the, the beautiful thing about the church is that we are called to be one. 
Jesus is not coming back for a white bride. He's coming back for a multi-ethnic cultural bride. A a diverse one. When did the white church take so much authority in the first place? Right? We... Do you remember when, when someone goes up to Jesus and asks him to heal his, her daughter? And it ends up like, you know, please, just, I'll, I'll take the scraps. Even the dogs eat the scraps from the table, right? That's us, you guys. Is anyone in here Jewish? Hands up. Part Jewish? Anything? No. Then you are a Gentile, okay? You are eating the scraps from the table. We are all the same. There is no difference between us. How do we go from that kind of humility of eating the scraps from the table to where we are today? Acting as though we own this whole thing. Even the passage that we read today, Acts 13, I want to go back to it for one moment. Recognize how the Gentiles react when they realize this word is for them. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since... You thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. As many were appointed to eternal life believed. Is this humble moment of the Savior of the Jews is for us too? That Jesus, that guy who died on the cross, he did that for us too. We just came back to hear you talking to the Jews, but that's for us too? We go from that humility to taking up such power and authority to the point that we see killing left and right in the Crusades in the name of Christ. We see Indians murdered as we take their land. We, we keep slaves and we call them three-fifths of a human being. We celebrate our enemies when we murder them and, and we claim that America is God's favorite land. God help us, we are so far from heaven. We're still so far from heaven. We've gone from dogs eating scraps to kings eating feasts. And we claim that those feasts come from God. We turn other Gentiles away because of their culture. We forget that that white people too are Gentiles. and, And we forget that we are all the same. We're all in the same boat. God taught us to be multicultural. The church is meant to be multicultural. We've seen it through Acts, right? As we've been going through this, you see that God is trying to make this clear. He pulls diversities together in Acts, right? He doesn't single anyone out. It's not just a white church. Aramaic-speaking Jews, back in Acts 6, remember when they got Stephen? And they're like, Stephen, we need to delegate some work to you. Part of the reason they had delegate is because there was kind of a fight in the cultures in the church. You had Aramaic-speaking Jews, you had Greek-speaking Jews. And they fought with each other. And it's one of those, it was racism, but it's like, racism's always so stupid, you know? Like, there's, when you look at it, there's never a good reason there. It's like this. When I was growing up, I used to DJ a lot, and I got into turntables. I still have them. They're in the basement here, actually, somewhere. Uh, <laughs> And, and I'd go on this Christian message board of DJs, and one of the things that people fought about all the time was turntables with the old vinyl records versus the new CD turntables. Yeah. You know what they were saying? Yeah. If you use CD turntables, you're not a real DJ. Yeah. It's not the same feel. It's not the same thing. You're just syncing beats together. That's it. 
It doesn't matter which way it comes, yet this is something they fight over. The Greeks, the Greek-speaking Jews and the Aramaic-speaking Jews had the same petty, stupid argument. Oh, we're the real Jews because we still speak Hebrew. You guys over there, you speak Greek. That makes you less Jewish. And so you see this fight between them happening. But God calls them together. We do see that they are the church, that they are coming together as a church. We need to recognize that God doesn't play favorites. We're all the same. You are not greater because of your language, your race, your color. We are all the same. Remember when Peter had that weird dream back in Acts 10, when we went over that? All of a sudden, like, a sheet lowers with a bunch of, like, reptiles. Go ahead, Peter, eat. I don't really want to, you know. No, go ahead. And, and, and Peter's confused by the dream. And what he realizes by the end of that story is that God is telling him he's making the Gentiles clean. Do not call unclean what God is making clean. And what we see is Peter interprets that dream when he ends up at a Gentile's house because God sends him there. And he begins to share the story of God with the Gentiles. And God makes it so clear that he is for all people, that nobody is greater than anyone else by pouring out his spirit, even without Peter asking for it. The Holy Spirit comes on these Gentiles and they begin to manifest. And they realize, oh, I guess God is showing us that he is making even the Gentiles clean. That we all can live under Jesus. He is making you and I clean. The outsiders, the least of these, the non-Jews. The privilege. He is extending to us the privilege of becoming a son and a daughter of God. And the Holy Spirit marked it. As that movement. Even the gift of tongues. So strange, right? We're waiting for the Holy Spirit. God, are you going to show up? You know, we, we've been waiting for you. We, we have heard that you're coming. The Holy Spirit lands on them at Pentecost. And what happens? The Holy Spirit manifests as diversity. Right? How odd. Of all the things, they could have ran out there and started healing people left and right. They could have ran out there and started prophesying and speaking in, in, in uh, the secrets of their hearts. They'd be like, how do you know that? But instead, they all run outside speaking languages unfamiliar to them. God manifests as diversity. It's like white people speaking Korean, Spanish people speaking uh, Hebrew. That's what it would have been like, that you see all these different people manifesting diversity of other people's languages. Languages, it's personal to us. And God is making sure that we are feeling the personalness of other people outside of our own. And on top of that, they're speaking to people who know these languages. God is making known the wonders of himself through the languages that they're speaking even though they don't even understand it. Of all the things God can manifest as, is that first time he does it as diversity. Because Jesus is for everyone. We're called to be one, and yet we've heard it said that the most segregated time in America is Sunday morning. How sad is that? It is. We church shop nowadays. We look for buildings full of of like-minded individuals, of similarly dressed people, of, of attractive people. 
We look for places with the same race, the same customs, and perhaps most unfortunate of all, the place that plays our kind of music. Yes. Yes. What a sad thing to segregate over. Yes. It's so unfortunate. We look for a church of comfort. The church should be one of the least comfortable places that you go to in your week. You aware of that? It should be uncomfortable. Because it's a place where God calls you to something greater and bigger. A deeper kind of holiness. A more extravagant worship than last week. A greater depth of inner healing. He might put on you to confess something to someone else. But we throw it all away for, for an attraction model. That we might have theater seating and cup holders. And coffee. Because that's what we're looking for in our church. And a tamed and quenched amount of the Holy Spirit. Don't get us too close to that. All right. yeah. And the donuts. And the donuts. <laughs> which I am fairly guilty of. <clears throat> as long as everyone is comfortable. I'm a horrible marketer when it comes to church, right? <laughs> Look, you should come here and it should be hard, you know? We do everything today based off preference. That's not what church is. Not only is today's church segregated racially, it's segregated in age, and we encourage it. It's the worst part. All right, if you're still into the old slower music, first service. If you're into the new upbeat music where people come up and rap over it, Second service. It's so sad. Everyone suffers the death of segregation. All of us. Because the older, wiser people go to first service and the young, brash people go to second. And they begin to talk with each other and they begin to start wars with one another rather than partner up. All because of preference. All because of making church comfortable. All because of not rattling a few pews. But the church should have pews that rattle, you guys. Because God's love is a radiant, passionate, all-consuming fire. It's dangerous, yet it's, it's safe. It's like a shockwave. And when it warms your heart like it did John Wesley's, you can't not let that affect other people. It's like an earthquake, right? Like yesterday, right? I didn't even feel it, but I knew it happened nonetheless. Because every single person on Facebook was commenting about it. <laughs> that is the power of God. Stagnant comfort is the power of preference. And we can choose which way we want to go. Will we die the death of a radical giving of our all to Christ, or will you die the death of this hell that we call personal preference? It's up to us as a church. God is patient to wait for us, but science is not. These bodies have expiration dates. We only have so much time to decide how much we want to spend in comfort and how much we want to spend doing what God calls us to do. We have to let it go. For the sake of the kingdom, we have to let any kind of, of fight against diversity go. and We have to become one. We have to merge our styles. It's not just about, about black people going to a white people church and choosing to be okay with that, or white people going to a black people church being okay with that. It's about the merging of cultures to be the diverse culture that we are called to be as a church. We are to transform our mind to the mind of Christ. And when we do that, we start to see the least of these differently. We start to see them in love to the point that prostitutes will come and cry at your feet because they've never met someone like you. 
that tax-collecting robbers are touched by your friendship and actions, that you don't treat a Samaritan woman as a half-breed, that you don't treat a Samaritan woman as a woman, as the way culture dictates, that even though she's been divorced several times, she still wants to go tell her friends about you. When we conform our mind to the mind of Christ, we realize that we are all eating scraps from the table. That he calls us worthy. When we conform our mind to the mind of Christ, we realize that we might too have to lie down our lives for an unworthy brother or sister. Think like the Holy Spirit inside of you. And you will love like he does. You will make yourself low because he will humble you. You ever pray that prayer before? It's one of the ones he always answers. God, I need humility. Oh, you know, like instant. Okay, I changed my mind. You can take it back. Oh, we're just getting started, you know. You begin to lie down your privileges. And you see everyone around you as your masters whom you serve. I'm white. I'm male. I'm heterosexual. I'm a pastor. I'm a radio DJ. I set it all aside to grab a towel and wash feet. That is what we're called to do. And it's a struggle to lie those privileges beside. But if we aim for that, we'll begin to serve other people. This is 1208 Greenwood right here. We're in an interesting community. We've got the only mosque in Jackson right across from us. There's Arabic people who work here and live on these streets. Uh, Behind me is the mansions. To this way is the poor. To this way is the middle class. And over there is the homeless shelter. We are in a place to reach all different kinds of people. We can be the church for them all. Because as we embrace diversity... We realize that we are for them, that they are like us. And many of them are already looking for Jesus, even if they don't know it yet. We, uh, if you were here, we sent uh, some people out to take surveys, to go around and to ask people some questions so we could figure out what to do with our warehouse. And one of the questions, the last question was, if you had a magic wand, what would you change about this neighborhood? I'm going to share with you some of the answers. These are all pertaining to one particular theme that we saw. Clean up the neighborhood, fix roads, fix up houses, litter, the tax rate is up, mismanagement, be more affordable in this area, there's too many regulations, city government doesn't care, there's safety improved, better schools, less traffic, government interacts with community, government officials to visit the neighborhood, sidewalks fixed, drug houses to be gone. As we looked through that, the warehouse leadership team, it was a little overbearing, to be honest. We're like, what are we even supposed to, this is like city stuff. We, that, that's not even, if we knew how to fix a pothole, I don't know if we're even allowed to do that, you know? <laughs> oh, hey guys, just, uh, you don't care if it doesn't match color, right? Just, <laughs> I don't know why it's blue, something happened. And we began to think over that. What were we even supposed to do about these things? And I think it was Sarah who, who saw the subliminal message behind that. We're overlooked. We're uncared for. People don't come down here. We feel like the least of these. Why? Because they are. Because they are. They need to see a Jesus who tells them that they're worth not just something, but worth it all. They've already been denied that privilege by the government. They can't be denied it by the church.
We have to step up and do what Jesus calls us to. Other issues presented were uh, they wanted a greater sense of community, and first and foremost, they wanted safety. They feel unsafe here. We can fight for them like Jesus would. I'm not speaking of violence here. Understand, Jesus puts body parts back on people. He doesn't take them off. Quite literally, we can see that in the Bible, right? And on a side note, how bad is Peter with a sword that he cut a guy's ear off? There's no way you were aiming for that, right? (laughs) It's really quite impressive. So they probably weren't too trained at fighting, to be honest. We can actively lie down our lives for our brothers and sisters. The world is so in need right now of Martin Luther King Jr. We need someone like him to be able to lead what is going on. And if you haven't seen the movie Selma yet, tonight, after Love is Blind, Joe Faltersack, after that movie, go watch it. It's a great movie. It's a wonderful movie. We have to creatively pursue our battles in kingdom ways. Those weird ways in which you're slapped on the cheek and you turn the other cheek. Those weird ways in which somebody sues you for something and you actually give them more than what they actually got and won in court. Those ways in which you continue to bless them. You walk further than you're required to with them. We have to say that this world isn't right, but we have to do it by showing them a world that is We have to show them that this world isn't fair. We have to do it by living out the kingdom that is. One of the pastors from Ferguson uh, was called up by a pastor in Baltimore this week. And the pastor from Baltimore said, you know, what's your advice? What do I do? And the pastor from Ferguson just said, find the front of the line and pretend like you're leading it. Right? Go out and fight for injustice for the poor. Show them a Jesus who is concerned for them. A Jesus who cares about people from all walks of life, from all different kinds of races. And if we're going to fight, it has to be as the church under Jesus. We're too untrustworthy to do this as ourselves. We have to do it under Jesus. Nor can we just be uh, white people reaching black people. We have to be the ethnic church reaching out as God calls us to. You know, I'm not really even sure that a white guy should be up here preaching this today. In fact, I'd actually like to ask forgiveness from my black brothers and sisters for any racial joke I've ever laughed at or told or for any common interaction I've ever made because I know those are in my life. I ask that you guys would forgive me for that. As we close out today, you guys are going to serve each other communion. It's going to be a little weird because what I'm asking you to do is to Uh, You're going to come up and you're going to take the bread, dip it in the juice and take it. And then after you've taken it, the person who is holding it is going to hand that to you. And you're going to turn to the next person and do the same thing for them. We're just going to continue this way. And and while we do this, I want you just to look in each other's eyes. All right? That's where it's going to get weird. You're going to want to laugh. You are going to laugh, some of you. Just look in each other's eyes and recognize the humanity Recognize that you are the same person. Recognize the the humanity of it all. That Jesus, regardless of your background, of your sins, of anything you've ever done, of your different cultures, the different things you eat, that this person is the same as you in the eyes of Jesus, as you partake in his body and his blood.